Good morning and welcome to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce. You're listening to KZYX, Philo 90.7, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Uh, we also stream live at kzyx.org. Org. Thank you for listening to Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. Good morning and welcome. Um, I am Corrine Pierce, your host, Synthamana, Anapikabitam Day. Um, I am a local basket weaver. I'm a traditional artist, herbalist, dancer, storyteller, cultural educator from with ancestry from Lake and Mendocino County tribes. And I am honored that you are joining me again this morning um, to take a closer look at some of the amazing people, places, and events that make our home in Mendocino Lake and Sonoma counties unique and rich. I'm grateful to be able to share some of my personal heroes who happen to be some of the most influential movers and shakers in our local indigenous community. So today is November 1st. Welcome, everybody. And this month, we're celebrating Native American Heritage Month. And I have two inspirational guests here with me. The first is Rose Hammock. She is a local indigenous educator and culture bearer who is making an impact in local community through the work that she's been doing for the past few years. And my second guest will be Gabe Ray, who is a community organizer and educator who I've had the pleasure of working with for the past couple of years. And I am constantly impressed by the work that he is doing behind the scenes. And I, I don't think that he gets enough recognition. So I really want everybody um, to hear from him today. Um, alrighty. So today I want to give you guys a little bit of information about Native American Heritage Month. It's a really um, big thing that it happened. And I want to um, recognize that the the struggle to be recognized as an indigenous people has been going for a long time and the struggle for a day a week a month to be recognized actually started um, at the turn of the 19th century so around 1915 there were natives that were actually in the art world they were founders or, or they were um, people that worked at museums and they wanted to have this day of recognition and that's where it started and it took a long time um, so Native American Heritage Month has evolved from its beginnings as a week-long celebration in 1986 when President Reagan proclaimed the week of November 23rd through the 30th in 1986 as American Indian Week in 1990, President George Bush approved a joint resolution designating November 1990 as National American Indian Heritage Month. Similar proclamations under variants of name, including Native American Heritage Month and National American Indian and Alaskan Native Heritage Month, have been issued each year since 1994. So the first official year for the Native American Heritage Month was actually 1993. Um, so there was some stuff. They had to give the president permission to make that day, and that happened in 1992. So it's an official day. It's official first month was 1993. 
Every president since 1995 has issued an annual proclamation designating the month of November as the time to celebrate the culture, accomplishments, and contributions of the people who were and are the first inhabitants of the United States. Another thing that I want to address that kind of gets on my nerves a little bit (laughs) is in 2008, President George W. Bush signed into law legislation, legislation introduced by Congressman Joe Baca of California to designate the Friday after Thanksgiving as Native American Heritage Day. The Native American Heritage Day bill was supported by the National Indian Gaming Association and 184 federally recognized tribes, and it designates the Friday after Thanksgiving as a day of recognition. I have a little bit of a problem with that being the day after Thanksgiving, Um, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. (laughs) But what I think is really cool about a Native American Heritage Day is that in the verbiage about this day, it actually says um, that it should be celebrated through appropriate ceremonies and activities, and it also encourages public elementary and secondary schools to enhance student understanding of Native Americans by providing classroom instruction focusing on their history, achievements, and contributions. And um, that's an amazing thing <laughs> to be allowed to happen, and that's actually kind of a perfect segue into my very first guest who is her name is rose hammock and i'm gonna let her introduce herself she does a lot of work um in education and she's really young i'm i'm not sure she's gonna tell you guys how old she is but she is a young woman and um she amazes me so i can't wait to hear from her okay rose can you make sure you're Um, not on mute so we can hear you and take it away all right so good morning everyone um in our eastern pomo dialect we say chinta a that's how we say how are you um that's kind of our greeting um to introduce myself i'm the the daughter of rudy and amory hammock and the granddaughter of rudy hammock senior and nina may hammock and um i have native roots here in Northern California for many places. Uh, my dad and myself and a lot of my family are tribally enrolled with the Round Valley Indian tribes because our valley is home to seven different tribal groups. Um, so my family is Pomo and Wailaki from those places. Um, we also have some Maidu ancestry from here. Um, my dad's mom is from a tribe up in Northern Oregon and I always like to acknowledge my mom's people that come from Mexico and Nicaragua as well. Um, So I I am a native woman, but I'm also an indigenous woman. And it's always important for us to honor and recognize all of our ancestors because they're what made us today. They're our ancestors from far places. And as much as we want to say, we're not just from one place. We come from many places and I just like to acknowledge that because I feel like that's who makes me who I am today, all of the influence from all of my people. So that's a little bit of who I am uh, tribally and culturally. Um, I am a new basket weaver. I'm learning how to get back into basket weaving. Um, I do beadwork. 
I make clappers. I do um, a lot of traditional arts in this way. Um, and then I like to go back even further um, and just like to sit down with elders from my family and talk about roundhouse ceremony and our naming stories and all, all kinds of different teachings that I can just kind of soak up, even though, um, and I will say my age, I'm 25. I was born in 1996, so that was cool hearing about starting in 1993, all of this goodness has been happening. And a lot of what Corrine was sharing is kind of what I'm trying to do in my work that I do. Um, I work for a group called the Big Picture Learning and we have a subgroup called the Native American Initiative. And right now I am working in six different schools. We have two schools here in Windsor, California, one in Hillsburg, California, one in Fort Bragg, California, one in Ukiah, California. And we're looking into other schools. Um, we just added a school in Cloverdale. Um, I think the the biggest accomplishment of our Native American initiative program is that I can take our local, you know, mostly Pomo. Um, I have a few Miwok students who, if they want to learn how to weave, I can bring Kareen in to teach about basket history, to teach a basket class. I can bring in people from the community to teach beadwork. Um, we have Buffy Schmidt, who's with the students in Ukiah teaching Northern Pomo dialect. And so we have so many community treasures all throughout our community that we can pull into our program to help educate not just our Native students, but all of our students. And for us, I think as our program, the biggest step is that my students can make their dance regalia, they can make jewelry, they can learn how to work back with the land, learn how to gather, learn how to weave, and get school credit. And there's not many programs out there that make that possible. Um, a lot of our students are in a space of continuation school. And for a lot of our students, a lot of their teachers have kind of given up on them. They don't see that they can be successful. And so we come into this program with a lot of love and just a lot of patience and trying to meet our young people where they're at and see what they want to learn about. And being able to bring pe real people from our Native community here to meet all of our students and educate them. Um, I've seen a lot of growth in a lot of our students, and especially our Native students. Some of them who didn't really say, oh, you know, I'm Native. This is where my people come from. They were just quiet and were. some of them were ashamed to say that they were Native. And so now we're able to kind of give that power back to our young people to be educated and get reconnected to the culture, um, you know, because within our history, things like boarding schools, reservations, and, and so many other things that happen here in California have, for some of us, disrupted that connection we had um, because our elders were, were pulled away from the culture and pulled away from their communities and their families. And so we find our our people here in the community that have remained connected and are educating people already. And we're just trying to kind of build those bridges back and re just reminding our young people that 
they're special, they're important, and that's our future. You know, when I'm an elder, I hope that the young people that I work with are going to be good elders and good ancestors for the young ones that come after them. And that's how we keep our culture alive as we share and we continue to pass these things on. Um, <clears throat> I was just sharing with Corrine before the radio started this morning that, you know, something I hold on to from one of my uncles is when I was little, he sat me down and I was always around my grandpa, always around my aunties and never really around too many kids, just mostly elders in our family. And he always told me that when elders are talking or you're around your elders, you're quiet. You should sit and just listen. And of course, when you're little, you wiggle around and you just want to go out and play and, and be wild. But being having that teaching has taught me that it's good to sit with your elders. It's good to spend time with them and just sharing a story, sharing laughter, sharing food, um, even even in ceremony, you know, sitting with the elders and hearing them talk, hearing them share stories. It's to me, it's really powerful. And I feel like a lot of the elders in my family and in my community have shaped me to be who I am today. You know, they've shown me a lot of love and a lot of patience. And so I'm really grateful for that love and that patience from the community because I almost feel like the community has raised me alongside with my family. And I think, you know, a lot of us probably have heard that, that quote, it takes a village to raise a child. And I think that's really true. There's so much for us to learn from one another. And I think when we have any kind of knowledge, it's good for us to kind of take that, um, what we say in Gona, the gathering of Native Americans trainings is take a healthy risk and, you know, go out and try to help share that knowledge. Because when we have our elders who have all this knowledge and, you know, they take their journey when they pass on and we don't take the time while they're here to learn, all of that knowledge goes to the other side with them. So we lose, we lose so much knowledge, you know, we kids have tablets and phones and all kinds of other stuff that are distractions. You know, when I was little, it just had toys and stuff like that. We didn't really have um, phones and computers and stuff like that in our house growing up. And I'm really grateful for that because it kind of reminded me of that importance of spending time with your elders, your old ones in your family or in your community. And I think, you know, it's it's so important that we try to help nurture that. I think for it being Native American Heritage Month, it gives me a lot of things to reflect on. My great grandma, my grandpa's mom, um, went to boarding school in Round Valley. Our valley had a boarding school there on the reservation. And just to think that you know, in her time, in her generation, they were experiencing relocation. My great-grandma's mom, my great-great-grandma, originally comes from Upper Lake area, and they were relocated to the valley and Round Valley. And so just knowing those little pieces of our history, knowing where our family really comes from and where we have been placed, um, I think is important, you know, to acknowledge what they had to go through and 
all of those hardships they went through, you know, we, we have, we have it easy, I think, compared to what our elders had to go through and what their elders had to go through. Um, for me, reflecting even further beyond my great grandma and my great great grandma, you know, they were still dealing with pretty much being illegal just to be a native person, having that knowledge. You couldn't go out and have a celebration. Um, I know over in Ukiah, you guys just had your, um, the family festival, you know, so having dancing, having cultural activities, just having fun with your families, that wasn't something our elders and ancestors had the pleasure of doing. You know, everything that they did culturally was pretty much held in private. Um, my grandpa had told me stories when he was alive of, you know, just just going to a grocery store or going to a little market, going to a gas station. You had to be careful when you went because a lot of the white people in the area at the time didn't didn't like Indians. They didn't want them around. And, you know, it's we although we still deal with stuff like that today, it wasn't as fearful. You didn't have to fear your life all the time. And for my grandpa, they had to pick and choose just when they could go out in public, you know, just when they could go out and, and do things, you know, even going out to gather or, or going to the ocean, everything had to be so planned out. And so I think for, for all of us, it's a good time, not just this month, not just today, but if you're Native and Indigenous, every day is Native American Heritage Day. It can't just be a month. You know, this, this is our life. This is who we are as Native people. And it's important to reflect on these things because if it wasn't for our ancestors, we wouldn't be here. You know, and a lot of the things that we're able to do, a lot of our elders and ancestors had to make sacrifices. You know, and I think it's important for us to to take that time to really sit and think about those things because this this life that we live here, you know, it it moves fast sometimes. And there's not a lot of times where we just get to slow down and, and reflect and take that time to be grateful. But, um, you know, my uncle always tells me we're always given that blessing when we wake up. That breath of life is so powerful because um, I read a quote when um, my mom had passed away and uh, she passed in 2018 from a, a, a illness called ne necrotizing fasciitis. It was a, something that affected her life and eventually leaded her to pass away and there was a quote that really stuck with me that you know when we when we wake up someone else in the world passes away and i think that is so important to reflect on every day is just to be grateful for the things that we have around us being grateful for the people that have taught us things and continue to teach us things because sometimes there's stuff that our elders have gone through um, and sometimes a lot of their knowledge, they're scared to share about it, um, just because of the trauma that they've gone through in their life. And I think when we take that time to, to sit and listen and just try to get all the knowledge that we can, you know, we, we pick each other up, 
you know, when my mom passed, I had a hard time, but I had aunties that took me to gather basket materials. I had uncles that would take me to the ocean. You know, I had my grandparents to sit and talk to. I had all of the young people around me to go out and I could teach them things or I could just spend time with them. And so there's a lot of times where, you know, when we don't take that time to slow down and, and just have that time for reflection that sometimes we feel kind of lost. We get lost in this world. And um, for me, I feel like as a Native woman, as an Indigenous woman, that we live like in two or three different worlds. You know, we have that ceremony where we're just, we're, we're around our people. We're in our own space. We're not having to worry about those stresses that this life brings. But then we have other times where we have a job and we have to go to meetings and, and all those other things. Got to worry about paying bills and going to the grocery store and whatnot. But when we take that time to find that balance between those worlds, it, it really brings you balance and it helps you live your life in a good way. And so I think, you know, if, if I could say anything for all people out there who might be listening is just be grateful for, for the things that you have, you know, and if, if you're native or you're indigenous, you know, just remember it's important to reflect and it's important to be grateful for your culture every day. You know, it's, it's so amazing to be a native person today because of all of the beautiful things that we have, you know, so much has changed over time. And this, you know, as, as young people, we have that power to make changes and make strides for the future because our ancestors had us in mind. They didn't know who we were, but seven or eight generations down from them, they had us in mind. You know, that's why they kept our baskets alive, our culture alive, our our dances, ceremony, our languages. They kept that alive for us. And so we have to do that part and being a good ancestor to keep that alive for my next seven or eight generations. And hopefully they have that same thing in mind for theirs. So just be a good ancestor, be a good elder, and, you know, just love your people that are around you. Oh, thank you, Rose. Um, before you uh, stop talking, I would love to hear about the mural that I I actually was in Santa Rosa Mall a few, uh, it might have been last month or the month before, and I saw your big, beautiful face on a wall in the mall, and I was very impressed. Could you tell us about that mural project um, and where people can see it and then also if people want to get in contact with you about any of the work that you're doing or if there are any educators of all ages um, listening that want your expertise and you have amazing expertise, that would be great to share. But I really want to hear about the mural project. <laughs> yes, definitely. So I, um, I got reached out to by a uh, group and this is what they call the Monarch Project. They do a lot of local murals here in Santa Rosa, Sonoma County. <clears throat> and uh, they reached out to me and kind of were just, oh, we, we work with these people in the community. And, you know, your name came up. And 
we're doing this mural project and we wanted to know if you would be interested. And I wasn't really sure if it was being interested in participating. So I was like, yeah, sure, that sounds neat. And, you know, had a few Zoom meetings and they were asking for pictures. And I was like, this kind of, what is this about? And we started talking more and more and they said, you're going to be one of the women that we're going to feature in this mural. And I was like, me? <laughs> I, I was like, wow. Like, I, I felt so blown away because, you know, again, I'm only 25 and I would expect, you know, a mural of, again, you know, one of our elders or one of those people that I feel is more worthy of something like that in the community. And we just went ahead and um, I sat with some people from the Press Democrat who um, were featuring this big mural that they were putting together. And we actually had like two or three different locations before we got to go inside of the Santa Rosa Mall downtown. Um, we were first on the side of a building of a brewery here in Santa Rosa, a very uh, busy street. And so right when you would go down the street, you would see the three murals. Um, so uh, myself and two other women, we represent our different cultures. So they asked for us to um, be in the mural in a, in a way that we're kind of portraying who we are. And for me, that was the, the biggest thing for me was that they see my traditional tattoos, our Wailaki facial tattoos that have been kind of disconnected from our people for a long time. So I wanted to make sure that was put across. And then for me, I feel the most powerful when I wear my, my regalia, my dress and my top knot and my headpiece. And so um, they really took the time to sit with me and they got to see my regalia and real like face close and were taking pictures of it to get the details down. And um, they did this with the other two women for the mural as well. And um, the building I think was uh, gonna get rented out. You know, COVID brought up issues for a lot of local businesses and um, someone in the mall um, I think we're one of the old, it was Mervyn's or Macy's, one of those old stores that kind of went out of business in the mall. Um, there's just a blank wall inside the mall. And so it was probably seven, six or seven in the morning. And <clears throat> the building was about two blocks, two or three blocks from the mall. And we went over and we had about 12 people that picked up the big murals and walked them over Um they made the murals on canvas, so uh, the back was some uh, wood support, so you could take it off the main wall of the outside building, and we just undrilled it, picked it up, and we walked it over, and we put it inside the mall, and everything was getting uh, drilled into the wall in the mall, and people were walking by, and they're like, wow, what is this? And the artists were being able to express what this project meant to them, and uh, anybody who wants to see all of their murals, uh, you can look up the Monarch Project. They do really amazing work, and the people are, are super, super respectful. You know, not too often do people just take the time to sit and want to know more about your culture before they even start doing the art part of it. And so um, I, I had a, a really good time working with their group, and they just do beautiful 
beautiful artwork. Um, I think they have a few um, projects outside of Sonoma County as well, but a majority of their art is here. Um, they've done a few other murals downtown in Santa Rosa, and I think they have one uh, going out towards Sonoma area, um, but they're always consistently doing art. And I really like that they allow people from the community to come and participate in doing some of the artwork, um, some of the larger areas that need painting. Um, my dress is orange, and so there was a lot of area uh, of color to be filled in. And so they had days uh, here in the Roseland area of Santa Rosa where kids um, could just come up and help paint it. So they bring a lot of the community together through their art as well. Um, so I love that. I'm really grateful for that mural and it's an honor again, as a native woman, um, of my age to, to be featured in that way. And I hope that, um, you know, I've, I've said this to the artists. I really hope that that mural brings pride and, and just like good feelings to our other young people. Cause that could be any of us young women. That could be any of our women in our communities, in our culture, in our ways that can be out there doing these things. And so I hope it also motivates our young people, motivates the young women in our community, how powerful you are and how much beauty is in you that you can do all these things that I do. You know, I know Gabe is going to share here, too, all the beautiful work he does for our community and definitely what Kareen said, he doesn't get enough recognition. Please hear what he has to share, hear his story. Amazing person in our community. And um, I have social media and stuff like that. You can um, look. I just Googled myself the other day, which was kind of crazy, too. At my Vanity age. search. So, <laughs> so if you look up Rose Hammock, I just kind of pop up there. <laughs> And you can see the mural in that way, too. Um, but always, if anyone wants, um, like, curriculum stuff, I help write curriculum. Um, <clears throat> I don't have, a like, a work email. So uh, my email is just all lowercase, rosehammock2017 uh, at gmail.com. So anybody who wants to reach out, anybody who wants people from the community in your classroom, whatever it may be, uh, I'm... Just another person here in the community trying to do my part and help. Oh, thank you so much, Rose. Thank you for sharing. And I just want to touch on how amazing the work that she does and actually the work that everybody is doing right now and acknowledge our parents. I know Rose did acknowledge our parents, our grandparents, but we really... It was illegal to practice our religion until after I was born, until 1978, so we are, our parents made the conscious choice to raise us in culture and uh, me and Rose and the work that we do, the work that Gabe does, it would not be possible unless we were standing on the shoulders of giants. And for me, Native American Heritage Month is about acknowledging those people those people that came right before us and the people that are doing the work now 
and the future generations. And I can't even imagine how astounding they're going to be. And I'm so, I love that mural, Rose. I love to see you. Representation matters. And to see you in the shopping mall was just awesome. So thank you for being here. And thank you for being a good ancestor and a local treasure. Um, all right, we are going to talk to Gabe, and Gabe didn't have time to jump on this morning, so he's kind of flying in by the seat of his pants, and he's amazing. I, I actually did not know everything that he does in the community because I work in my own sphere, which is usually art, um, but when I started working um, as a cultural educator and cultural education coordinator for Pinoleville Pomo Nation... Um, I got to work with Gabe and I was like, dang, Gabe, did you do all this stuff? Have you <laughs> made all this stuff happen all these years that I didn't know anything about? So welcome, Gabe. I would love for you to introduce yourself. Um, tell us who you are, who you are in our community and the stuff that you are getting done because you're very awesome. So make sure that your um, mute is off so we can hear you. Thank you. Good, uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Gabriel Ray. I am a enrolled member of the Scotts Valley Band of Pomo Indians. Uh, Scotts Valley is a uh, tribe. We have two offices for a landless tribe. Uh, right now, there are a few, only a few landless tribes in this country, but several tribes trying to uh, receive some type of uh, tri uh, federal jurisdiction in our country, but. Uh, I work for Pinoleville Pomo Nation. Uh, I've been, you know, that's a, I've been a blessing to be, be able to work for this tribe with the, of all the work that I'm uh, able to do for the community. So some of the um, work that uh, we are able to do because of the grants that I, I work for under Pinoleville are, you know, just bringing trainings to the community that are, uh, we, we train people who work directly with tribal youth or for tribal communities. So. That is uh, important, I think, and it's been really important. We work in school systems here in Ukiah School District as well. Uh, at one point, we had, I think, five uh, talking circles going on in three different high schools. And at the high school, the Ukiah High School, that actually turned into a uh, Native Studies course, uh, and that, that worked out pretty good they, uh, for a little while. And then COVID happened, kind of cut it off. So. Um, we got to try to wake that up again and bring that back into the school. But in the meantime, we were working to, um, or my coworkers, not me, I had no part of that, but we're doing a talk, we're back up at the high school doing talking circles. We have uh, five talking circles up there at the Ukiah High School where they have the, they're teaching the Northern Pomo language there. And that was kind of a, you know, kind of incredible when I first went there and talked to the kids because just thinking back, we're, you know, they were bringing kids to these schools to, you know, pretty much torture the uh, culture and language and the people that they were out of them. And, you know, they were, you know, talking about, you know, talking to those youth about the bodies that they're finding at these schools nowadays. And, you know, because a lot of those kids were heard this were talking their language and that they were in the schools, the school here, local school here, these our youth are being able to learn their language. So it's a, a kind of a big turnaround and important. You know, this is a historic for our area. Uh, it's the first class going on. So 
real happy to be up there at the school. Uh, my coworker Haley uh, Plowa, she you know teaches two um, girls. You know, teaches. She has two girl circles up there, and I have two boy circles. And we also do a uh, another circle that's inclusive of everybody together. But a lot of the activities that we're able to do uh, are, or we have been doing over the past, you know, over the years is we're just doing a cultural camp out for the family and that we're able to you know, have some cultural teachings, but also do some um, workshops regarding substance abuse and suicide prevention and just having time for families to spend time together with their, with their kids and the parents and everybody's welcome. Uh, Always, you know, we have show movie and uh, let you know families go down and hang out at the beach. And how many years have you been doing the culture camp? This is the fifth. This is just the fifth one that we've done. Just past this past September. Okay, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna interrupt you a second because I don't think I've shared this story for you, and I really want to share it with you. Um, This culture camp that Gabe does is that he helps to run is really amazing. Um, A lot of indigenous children aren't actually, they don't get that education about their culture because they have to go to school every day. (laughs) So we're, we still are, are in that um, situation where we don't actually get to choose how we teach our culture a lot of the times because we don't have our kids. So, um, these kids miss gener- miss culture and that's been happening for generations that's where boarding school came from that's why it happened so when he when Gabe and Haley and everybody could come together and they do this culture camp they're bringing culture bearers who are experts at what they do and families who sometimes don't have exposure or access to those people and I in my other job <laughs> um, I am a cultural educator and I go to schools and I had a little boy um, speak up. So I want to tell Gabe how impactful that is. And I think I might have told him before, but there was a little boy who was in one of my cultural education classes and I was talking about singing and dancing and we use clappers made of elder or sometimes with bamboo because that's easy to find. And he took over my class and he taught everybody what he knew about clappers that he learned at culture camp. And it was so impactful for him. And and all the culture stuff was important to him. But the most important thing that he really got from it was that somebody let him use sharp tools. <laughs> somebody trusted him enough to let him create his own clapper and he was so proud of himself and he was just like i would go to that camp every month if they had that camp and that is you know that's empowerment for these kids and i i want you to talk gabe about um covid and how it like it really shut down what we were trying to do in the community it's it's hard and every every step forward is hard work and covid just like knee you know like did a karate swipe and knocked our feet out from under us and we had to start all over again. And I'm not exactly sure where the community leader meeting started. I remember you being in charge of the meeting. So I want you to share about that community 
meeting that we did and i feel especially proud because we have done a few events through this meeting and if anybody drove by alex thomas plaza um on the 30th that was us out there doing cultural stuff but i want to hear from you gabe of how that how that happened and the stuff that we've been able to do with that that you've been able to coordinate with that sure uh so that was uh you know just covid Right before COVID happened, and in our area and, and the schools and stuff like that, things were really picking up really um, positive for our youth because before that, you know, we were, you know, highest uh, substance abuse, highest absentee, highest dropout rate, highest, you know, suicide rate in our, it was, we was the highest in everything. And up to, um, we're, we're actually turning that around a little bit where our, our school participation was, uh, improving a lot grades were improving uh high school graduation was rising uh college uh, enrollment was rising at the time we were, were having so many people who were uh, getting into recovery in our um, communities and then COVID happened and that set us back so quite a bit um we were already and still able to want willing to go out and beat the youth but the schools were closed and you know wouldn't allow couldn't find any space to conduct anything try to do stuff virtually but uh and then we can go to the communities because most of the communities were closed because of uh they were closed you know protect our elders and other communities from covid so uh we we, we ended up taking a got getting knocked back a couple of steps so and in the meantime there were there were, we you know we were hearing about kids uh hearing about suicides and about the grades dropping. Uh, uh, I think when Martin Martinez from Red Valley actually called me one day because it was a youth who had just passed away in a DUI accident. And it was just before that there were a couple, a couple of overdoses. And so we have to, we have to do something. Uh, can you call a meeting together? And you know, so that's what I did. I mean, he asked me and and you know, we I just sent an invite out to everybody on my email list that I thought could do something. And I think we had um, you know forty something people get on here, forty something people get on that first meeting, and just talked about um, the things that are happening in our community and what can we do to to help um, help our youth um, get back on track in school and um, talk about um, bridging the gap between our elders and our youth and trying to get that knowledge um, to, you know, that connection, building that circle, mending our circle that we, that we've, uh, I think we talked about earlier, you know, we lost a lot of our teaching because of our, our elders were taken out of the homes. Uh, so that, uh, but yeah, that's how it started. And, you know, we just started, uh, started doing the first, what was it, the first event we did was a Gona, a youth Gona, or excuse me, a youth big time. We did one in, Lake County, then we did one in Mendocino County, then we did one in Sonoma County. And we're just, uh, I think the idea turned into being, you know, how small that we are in our areas, you know, all the tribes are limited in funding and things like that. But, you know, the idea of it is, you know, if all of us pitch in a little bit, we could do a lot more. So we're doing more with less by collaborating, partnering, uh, supporting each other, sharing resources. Uh, and it's been, um, big i think we're showing uh, everybody what we can do and getting the larger picture out there you know you know what is the 
root and uh, cause of all the issues in our communities, the negative issues, and it's alcohol and drugs. You know, so many times when a tragedy happens in our communities, it's like, I always hear the question, when is this gonna end? And uh, we all know the answer. I mean, I was been asking the question myself for years, but it's, it's not gonna end until we stop allowing it to happen in our communities. And we have to do that as a community. You know, a lot of times we're looking to our tribal um, councils to put a stop to it or something, but they need the support of the whole community to make those decisions and um, being able to, you know, it might have to be somebody, you know, somebody might have to lose their house or, you know, there might be have to be some hard choices that are made. People might might not be allowed in the community anymore, but if we want to cure our communities, that's, um, we have to take it out of our communities and not allow it to happen. I, and I don't think I don't think it can be done. It has to be done in a bad way because I think we just give people the choice. You want to be a part of a healthy community, or you can't be here. Um, it's your choice. It's not doesn't have to be anybody kicking anybody out or anything like that. It's just leaving the people to make decisions for themselves and living with their decisions that they make. But uh, I think it's uh, that's when it's going to stop. That's the um, that's when it's going to stop when we stop tolerating it from happening in our communities. Um, so many people have died, you know, just talk, you know, died or been through horrible situations. And uh, the root of it, when you look at it, is just, you know, obviously from the historical trauma and things that had uh, had occurred in our in our history. But now we need we we could take a big chunk of that out of our communities by just not allowing drugs and alcohol anymore in our communities. You know, but we also need to, we can't just ban it from there. We need to start providing better services in our communities and supporting each other. So, you know, we're always available. If somebody wants, if somebody wants something for their community, you know, let us know, you know, we're more than happy to try to bring something to any community. Um, we need, we know we need re-entry program for our people coming back out of prison. Um, I just actually went to the pro office a couple of days, you know, maybe a couple of weeks ago to talk to somebody down there. So how can we, you know, maybe get a list of people who are getting coming back out of prison? Because I think they could be, those people can be huge on coming back to our communities and asking for their support, you know, getting to the prisons, talking to them, say, come back and be a warrior for you because we know they're in there sweating and living a good, you know, living a healthy life right now and getting on track and things like that. Come back to your community and be help for to our communities and um i think they should be real important in, in making that happen um also we need the diversion programs for our youth you know instead of letting a i don't know i i see youth get in trouble when they get on probation and it's like they're on there until they really get in trouble then they're in the prison um so we need to make our own diversion programs where we can work with our youth and be able to teach them some of their culture some you know, just other, you know, work with them on, on history. Cause right now they're, our youth are picking up other cultures, gang culture or some other ethnic culture. Um, they're not learning their identity, their personal, um, who they are and what their role is for their community or can be for their, for themselves or their families. And just trying to teach them that, you know, you know, they're teachers of their little brothers or their little sisters or little cousins, you know, someone's always watching them. You know, and trying to put in their own minds that they are—they're uh, teaching their—they're their teachers, and they, they may not even realize it. But then, if they have a little brother that or sister that's looking up to them, they see you smoking, they might want to smoke. They see you being respectful to your parents, that's what they're going to do. 
Um, they see you working hard in school, doing homework, going to college. That's what the, that's what they're gonna do. But if they see you doing, trying to be a gang member, drinking or smoking, that's what they might want to end up doing. So you know, and just you know, talking about good decisions. You know, simplest decision we talk about at the schools is like, you got a test coming up Friday. You know, you can make a decision to study for that test. Odds are you're gonna get a good grade. You don't study for that test. Your grade's probably not going to be as good as it could have been if you took, if you made if you made the decision to to study. But uh, that's uh, so important. All these events that we do, and this event that happened last this this past weekend, that's probably the biggest event, and they did a lot of uh, a lot of uh, work to make those happen. You have to talk to a lot of people and. But the momentum is growing. You know, I mean, the events are getting bigger and bigger as we go. And Corinne's been there every event, so thank you for that. I mean, that she that she usually has the her uh, her area is the hit of the events usually. These kids love to. Uh, I see always everybody over there weaving a basket, or they were painting this past weekend, and they loved it. You know, I think that just having our kids out there and having something able to. Uh, alternative for them to have some good times and memories. Um, people spend time together. You know, we're all there and we're all related. And you know, but just all of us coming together is uh, big and important. For I think somebody put on it. The priest mentioned it. Priest Martinez mentioned it. You know, people miss these types of activities happening in our communities, and they're not as big as they used to. But you know, the thing that I notice now for our communities. I mean, there are little things, but there's huge difference. You know, a long time ago when I would go to an event when I was a little kid, there'd always be people out in the park lot drinking or something like that. But you never see that anymore at the events, or I don't. Um, so I think that's huge. I mean, it's little. I mean, it's, it seems like little, but it's it's like a little thing, but it's huge. It's a huge difference because that is. Um, so things are getting better. Uh, um, I agree with you, Gabe. And I just want to say, like, a lot of people can talk in an idealistic way, like Gabe does, you know, about we need to do this, we need to do this. But the the main difference for me is that Gabe is actually feet on the – he's boots on the ground doing it. <laughs> like He's showing these kids. He's at the talking circles. And what, what astounds me is that you say it so simply, like, I just emailed these people on my email list to get a list. And I wish I could impart to the people that are listening the list of people that he has on his email list. These people are – they are the culture bearers and the community organizers of the entire community. They don't, they aren't like they work for this tribe. They work for the, they happen to work for those tribes, but the people on his list are the people that do the work. So it's really amazing that, that you do that. And I'm really grateful for you, Gabe. And not only does he do like that stuff in the school and coordinating and working with her, he also is out with his sister harvesting basket stuff and taking care of kids. And, you know, he's just like doing everything. I'm so grateful for you, Gabe. And I, I hope that everybody knows how amazing you are and they appreciate you as much as I do. So thank you very much for, for being here on Good Ancestors and Local Treasures. Um, you are definitely one of those. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. 
Um, so we don't actually have very much time left today, and I had wanted to talk about acorns, which I'm still going to do. But in reality, I could talk about acorns for the whole hour. Oak Tree could have been my guest today and talked the whole time. Um, I don't have a lot of minutes to talk to you about acorn processing, but I'm going to anyway because I might give you a little tip every month about how to process these acorns because there's no rush. The rush right now is to harvest them. So I'm driving all around and extremely distracted while driving, so everyone be careful. Um, because there are so many acorns this year. It is a bumper crop. And, you know, there are always superstitions and myths about when there's a lot of acorns, it's going to be a hard year coming up. So I suggest everybody go out and harvest acorns and be prepared for this year that's coming up because we are having um, a shipping emergency. We're having a resources getting to you emergency the cost of everything is going up but acorns are still free um, so you better get it while the getting's good so I'm just gonna give you a couple tips there's lots and lots of acorns around uh, lots and lots of types of acorns so not all acorns are the same and I grade them according to how I like them so my favorite acorn for food for acorn mush or incorporating it into any other thing my mom makes acorn cookies I know people that make acorn crepes you can make acorn bread um, so once you make this flour you can do a lot with it my very favorite type of acorn is black oak acorn and we have a lot of those and that was actually the preference of the people that lived in our valley in our Ukiah Valley and you can tell if you go outside and look at the hills, you will see them right now turning a beautiful shade of yellow, orange, and gold. Those are the black oaks. They change color and they lose their leaves. Um, in the springtime, you'll be able to go out and look at those trees and you will see hot pink and fuchsia because they're, um, they're catkins and their new springtime leaves are hot pink. So that's one way to tell them. Another, uh, my next favorite is uh, tan oak. And tan oak isn't officially a quiris. It, it isn't an oak, but I always say that nobody told it that, so it still makes acorns. Um, and those are my second favorite. And then my third favorite is black oak. And black oak is like, it's the way that you process it is very similar to tan oak. It's different than black oak, even though it looks like a black oak. And the, um, so those are my three favorite. But technically, you can make acorn mush out of any acorn. They have a different flavor, just like every cheese has a different flavor. Black oak is more of a fatty, smooth flavor, kind of like jack cheese or something like that, mozzarella maybe even, whereas tan oak's a little bit more bitter. It always has that more bitter bite, and that is more like a more like a blue cheese, I guess I would compare it to. Um, so everyone has its own flavor. Everyone has its own leaching time. So this is the trick. Go ahead and take all your kids out and harvest acorns, but don't mix them. If you go out and you are harvesting tan oak, if you go out, you're harvesting blue oak, you go out, you're harvesting black oak, 
They all need their own box, their own bag, because their leaching time's different. So after you go out and harvest whatever your wonderful crop is and you've gifted to the tree and you've sang it some songs and you've thanked it for feeding you, um, you're going to dry those really well. And this is where a lot of people get um, defeated and they're like, oh, I don't have time to do that. I don't, you probably don't, you don't even need to process those acorns this year. <laughs> I have an acorn cellar where I harvest, I will harvest acorns this year. And those acorns go into their boxes, and they actually, once they're dried, they wait until next year. I pull last year's acorns forward and process those um, this year. So get your acorns, dry them up. You want to crack them and dry them really, really well. You're going to remove any red skin if they have it. Usually it's just black oak that has that, which is a preservative. Um, so it's best to leave them whole if you're not going to use them. If you aren't going to use them this year, leave them whole until next year. Grind them. I still use a pestle and mortar. Um, you can also use a Vitamix, something very heavy. So after you have harvested your acorns and they are dry, um, so they, they fall in the autumn time. And they're, where we live, we are always lucky to have sunny days, even when it's winter time. So I will put them out in the sun every day and then bring them in to make sure that they don't get moist at night. Once they're dry, they're fine. They can stay, they can literally stay like that for, for many years before you use them. They don't go rancid because of the amount of tannins in them, especially black oak. Black oak has a red skin um, on the inside and that is full of tannins and that is just like a little saran wrap around each one of them keeping them safe. After they're all separated and dried, you will crack them and dry them again. Keep, just keep drying them. Remove them from their shells. Remove any red skin. Uh, sometimes oaks are smooth. Sometimes they are like a brain and have lots of folds. And if they have a lot of folds and red skin, you need to open it up. Um, you need to pop those little cracks open and remove any red skin. Then you grind it, and you have to sift it. Consistent flour size is very important. If you have chunks, um, those won't leach at the same rate as your fine powder, and you'll have bitter chunks and tasteless, smooth fat. So that's not always fun. Um, you want to leach each of them after you've grinded and sifted them. So traditionally, it would be... a along the riverside and you'd make a depression in the sand and you'd line it with cedar and then put your acorn flour in it and leach it. You can do that in a sink now with a cheesecloth and a strainer. Uh, that works just as fine. You need a water break. So water break is an important part because if you've ever tried to pour water onto flour, it doesn't go through. It's not going to leach evenly. It's going to cause air bubbles and then whatever's in the air bubble is not going to leach and it's going to ruin your whole mush. So a water break traditionally can be a whole bunch of plant material. So traditionally it was either cedar or poison oak. If you catch poison oak, don't use it. Use cedar. You can also use rosemary. Whatever you use as a water break is going to impart some flavor into that mush. Um, a lot of people use a plate where they just put the plate on the side and then it just hit the water hits the plate and then it evenly distributes over the top. 
it's not a lot of water that's running. It takes a long time for the water to make it through. So when I do it at home in the sink, the water is on a drip. It really does not take very much. And if you're doing it outside, which I have done, I usually have a bucket and then a scoop. And I pour a scoop over and it takes time to go through. Then I come back in 20 minutes, pour another scoop and let it go. So it's pretty easy. It's not very water um, intensive in using, which is imp- which is important in a drought. And that's another reason why I prefer black oak. Each of these oak trees has a different amount of tannins and a different amount of leaching time. Black oak is like the grade double A egg for me because it has, so it stays good because of the tannins it has. Um, It has the fattiest, nuttiest flavor for me and it has the shortest amount of leaching time. And that is a big deal when you are in a drought. So a black oak can usually be anywhere between four to eight hours max, I would say. And then tan oak can any be anywhere between six and 10 hours, really. And then anything after that, you're getting into days. I hear people talk about leaching for days. I am not into that lifestyle. I am a fast cold water leecher and that's it. But I I do have friends that will take a valley oak, for example, which is something that isn't preferred um, and use those, crack them open, hot water leach them right away in, you know, pour hot water on them, let them sit, pour it off, do it again, and then throw that in a smoothie in the morning. So that's one way to use those. Um, The reason there's so many black oak or tan oaks, or I'm sorry, valley oaks now is because they outproduce the slower growing black oaks and tan oaks by double. So it takes 50 years for a black oak to make an acorn, whereas a valley oak can produce an acorn in about I don't know, 12 to 18 years. So technically, that Valley Oak's grandbabies are making acorns before that first black oak drops an acorn. So they were very well managed before. After you've leached um, and you taste it and it doesn't have that bitter taste on your tongue, you're going to cook it. And I use the term cooking really loosely. You actually boil the water Um Depending on how thick you want your mush, it's about uh, one part water to four parts powder flour um, for a thick mush. Anything thinner than that, you can go one to 16, which is like a soup, a very thin super broth. You boil the water, you add the mixture to the boiling water, and then you turn it off. That is basic mush. If you want to get fancy and turn it into something similar to jiggler, jello jigglers, <laughs> you can cook it a little bit longer and that thickens it. Um, but you don't really want to boil it. You just want to heat it so that it starts to thicken. Uh, and then you eat it. You can add that to anything. So any kind of cookie, any kind of dough you can think of, pasta dough, cookie dough, bread dough. Um, and I, in my opinion, replacing a cup of processed white flour with a cup, even just a cup of acorn flour is better for you, for your body, and for the environment. So um, food sovereignty is a big deal to me for all of us. And we are surrounded uh, by a place where the indigenous people have been processing acorns for 30,000 years. So um, these acorns are depending on us for their care and we can depend on them. 
So start utilizing them as soon as you can. Yahweh, this is Corrine Pierce. Thank you for listening to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures on your local listener-supported community radio, KZYX. This has been a production of KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.